Hey guys. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to the Broners Podcast. What's going on, everybody? You know, woke up at 2 p.m. today. Mm. Had a long three days at work and <laughs> got myself some coffee, so I'm good to go yeah. now. Why do you wake up at 2 p.m.? I'm on the coffee too. I'm on the Cuban coffee too. Yes. Oh, damn. You know what I'm doing? 75 hard. Have you heard of it? Uh, no. <laughs> Oh, I have heard of it. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a lot about it. Let's hear about it. It's a challenge. It's like a fucking mental discipline challenge. It's it's good. You should try it. Well, I would fail. I have no mental discipline. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really I literally failed yesterday, my first day I failed. <laughs> You're like, Yeah, we'll just start tomorrow. I know. I was like, Fuck Is it, it you start. have to get uh two workouts in a Yeah, day. yeah, you heard about like, it? Cer- you gotta sit on a, cer- a certain diet plan. Oh yeah. Uh, you got you gotta post your workout and if you messed up you gotta start off from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh fuck that. Yep, yep. It's a well, fucking hella challenge, dude. To be fair, I did start two weeks ago going to the gym four days a week from mm. negative twelve days a week. So negative <laughs> four um, is a lot from negative twelve. It's four is a lot it, for me, period, because I literally hate working out. However, comma, things are out of control and the quarantine did me no favors. So oh, yeah. we're on the four day a week and counting calories situation currently, which mm. so far I have stuck to. So I am proud of myself in that regard. Just throw a gallon yeah. of water in there. You're pretty much doing the same shit. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, welcome, guys, to the Bro Nurse Podcast. Today, joining us on the cast, the podcast. Cast of the pod. The cast of the pod <laughs> is Anil. I'm, I gotta say your name right, dude. Say it for me. It's Anil Irfan. Okay. It's literally phonetic, Scott. Jesus. I don't it's know. Phonetics. You never know. That's right, that's right. I mean, you never know. <laughs> but it's okay. My whole life, I've gotten O'Neill and Irfan. Yeah. So I, I it, always I said Irfan every time. <laughs> we'll just call him Shaq. Shaq. Shaq works. Shaq works. So, dude, so tell us about tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Why the fuck you're on the podcast? Why the hell I am here? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I guess my name is Anil Irfan. I'm truly an entrepreneur. I'm based out of West Palm Beach. I am a certified telehealth uh, professional and coordinator from the National School of Applied Telehealth. Um, over the last six, seven years, I've developed my business, um, the president and CEO of my own company, Irfan Medical Supplies and Technologies. And I've been on this you know, seven to eight year journey as an entrepreneur trying to break in and establish the telehealth and telemedicine space, not only for providers, but also for just on the legislative uh, aspect as well. So I think that's kind of where we uh, we kind of connected was, you know what, uh, it's an incredible journey uh, on what where telehealth was and where it is today. And I think there's a lot that I can kind of bring to the table in, in, in discussing around that space for sure. So what the fuck is telehealth <laughs> for people that don't know what it is? Yeah, so you often hear the two terms, telehealth and telemedicine. They're often, they're often used interchangeably, mm-hmm. but how they're truly defined is the use of electronic communication, uh, live audio video is, is common, uh, for the delivery of healthcare services virtually, okay? Mm-hmm. So telehealth is kind of a broader scope, so that's delivering healthcare education using electronic communication, 
doing administrative me meetings using electronic communication, and the actual diagnosing and treating of patients using electronic communication, that's what's called telemedicine. Uh, it's a concept that's actually been around for many years. Many people think it's kind of the, you know, a new concept, but actually one of the first telemedicine systems was first implemented in 1960. Uh, the, the the Boston Medical Center, Boston Mass Medical Center, actually connected with uh, pilots at Boston Logan General Airport, and they connected and did telemedicine via closed-circuit black-and-white television. No <laughs> so shit. telemedicine has been a concept that's been around since 1960. Later, um, the, we NASA got into telemedicine. They started putting uh, basically just a, a video link between astronauts and healthcare professionals down and you know on earth then um around the 1990s 1999 uh the federal government started investing in telemedicine projects specifically for rural areas um of course advancements in 5g and, and internet and live audio video has really pushed it forward but the biggest problem and biggest issue around telehealth and telemedicine has been uh, reimbursement and regulation and regulatory. So a lot of my early career was pushing for adoption, but trying to get laws in place so providers can use these technologies. You know, because the thing is, the technology never existed, right? So rules, regulations, laws, medical boards, uh, you know, really putting rules around it never existed either. So very early in my career, that's a lot of where my work was done. All right, Sounds exhausting. So. <clears throat> yeah, it does. Yeah, it definitely exhausting. So just to, re just to review, telehealth telemedicine is the use of, of electronic communications to deliver healthcare services. So basically like robot, robot medicine. <laughs> I wouldn't say robot medicine. It would be distance, <laughs> distance health. Distance yeah. health, right? It's so like distance taking, learning for providing medical services. Right. Exactly. It's basically taking a provider from a remote site and connecting with the patient that's in another site. And there's some amazing things that can be done. Um, so follow-up truly, truly. Follow question. When will the robots come out and start doing all the shit for us? That's what I want hey, to that uh, robotic surgery is already happening. Yeah. You, have, you have you have a lot of uh, telepresence going on in hospitals too, where there's actually a robot that's doing the grounding, and the doctor's video is on the thing. On, and on his the fucking face is just like yeah, yeah. They're doing ground, <laughs> doing rounds. So that's happening. That's called that's called telepresence. Um, and yeah, sounds we have, some sketchy. Like that. that sounds so fucking sketchy. Telepresence. Yeah. What fucking telepresence. year are we in? 2050. <laughs> Yeah, it's money. It's here. Oh my God. Um, you know, but in a lot of cases, it's either that or none at all, right? So especially in these rural yeah. critical access hospitals, where maybe you can, there's no way you're going to get a neurologist. It's either that or nothing at all. Yeah, yeah definitely better a, than nothing. Just a global fucking shortage of healthcare providers, I think, and it's better than like. I mean, we see it all the time in the in the ER. You know, Ashley and I, we work in the ER. So we get, you know, now it seems like, um, well, I mean, like at least at the ER I work at, we don't have neurology on staff in the emergency room for when strokes come in, you mm -hmm. know? So we see a lot of um, just telemedicine, just the, the neurologist come on the screen and do a quick assessment of the patient, do like an NIH, you know, stroke uh, assessment mm -hmm. on the patient and then um, determine whether or not they're a candidate for um, like... Um, super strong anticoagulation medicine or even like the cath lab where they go in and like put a wire and basically retrieve a clot from your brain. So, yeah. um, 
And actually the two kind of early use cases for telemedicine are the most common. Um, and of course, there's a lot of use cases and different specialties that telemedicine can be used in. But the two biggest ones early were telepsych because it's just a shortage of behavioral health. Right. But number two was telestroke because, you know, we could actually, uh, you know, I did a program in rural Georgia where we actually outfitted the ambulance with digital cameras and integrated devices. So as the patients are being transported to the hospital, they can connect with that neurologist at the hospital and they can do that assessment on the way to the hospital to see, okay, do we need to administer the TPA, things like that. And I mean, in those cases, seconds count, right? Mm -hmm. And and uh, we saved a lot of lives with just putting that program in place. Um, so those That's two use cool. cases, those two use cases are probably the most common initially um, in early telemedicine, so to say. So what do you see like where, because that's all I know about, oh, that, in my experience, that's all I've seen in telehealth is just, or telemedicine what was the, the neuro stuff and the psych stuff. Because I mean, we, obviously that's like a huge part of our job, but what is like the, where is the, where is the, like, where are we going into? Where's it headed? Sure, sure, sure. So, so telehealth comes in different flavors. Okay. So the one you're talking about, strawberry, is, I hope. Strawberry. <laughs> so, no. so they come in different, I would say modalities. Okay. And it's important cool. for a lot of people to understand those modalities because they all have their own specific use cases. And even more importantly, they now all have their own billing codes. So they all have CPT codes attached to them. So the first one, the most common that we talk about and you've already experienced is what's called synchronous telemedicine, right? It's live audio video connection mm -hmm. between a provider and a patient, okay? And you can incorporate those uh, peripheral devices like a digital stethoscope, an otoscope, so you can have more of a robust consultation. But, but, but that's synchronous live audio video live consultation, okay? So that's one modality. The second um, is called a storm forward, it's the asynchronous modality of telehealth, which is basically the opposite. It's not live. It's actually, so for example, a patient will, like let's say dermatology, a patient can upload an image of a lesion or their MRI results or fill out a pre-filled um, survey. And that's forwarded to a provider for review at a later time where they make a diagnosis and treatment and then submit it back to the patient. Okay, that's kind that of is, kind of how radiology works in the in our department. Yeah, yeah. All, you know, been, been widely used in teleradiology for many many years. Mm -hmm. um, very common in dermatology, uh, but now even like these these companies, like if you if you I know you've probably seen a commercial for a company called Roman, where it's for um, it's for ED pills, and that's a form of asynchronous telemedicine. You're gonna go on their website. You're gonna fill out a few a few questions that have clinical backing for them to do an assessment. And then from there, the, the doctor will take that information, it's forwarded to that doctor, they review it, and from there they'll either prescribe the ED medication or they won't. They say That's an you get a boner pill or you don't get a boner pill. Or you don't. But oh, it's a form God. of but, <laughs> but it's a form about. of it's it's a form of storm forward and it's a form of telehealth. And again, like I mentioned before, they all have their own billing codes. So now that provider can actually bill for the time they spent reviewing that. Okay. Um, and the third modality, which I have a lot of experience with, is what's called remote patient monitoring. Very often used with patients in chronic care management, mm -hmm. which is basically you're providing devices to a patient, patient to manage their vital signs and, and collect their vital signs 
and forward it over to a provider or a care team to review so they can do the trend analysis on those vital signs. Kind of like you know, the, Nike, these, the new watch, the new Apple watch. Exactly. A lot of wearables can be incorporated. So like, you know, give, give you a use case. Patient leaves the hospital. They are they have they have chronic heart failure or been diagnosed with chronic heart failure. Um, one of the key key parameters is weight gain, right? If you're if you're gaining weight, that may be a sign that they're deteriorating. So what we can do is the patient leaves the hospital. The provider says, "Hey, we're going to send you home with a tablet and a digital scale. Twice a day, you're going to report your vitals using this the system, and then that data goes to a care team who manages those results." And if they see things, you know, they can catch things before they happen. And that way you can cut down readmissions and you just provide better care because you can, you have a trend analysis consistently going. Yeah, kind of like um, a halter and, monitor, but like permanent halter monitor. Exactly. Right. So you just and get like so, vital statistics on the patients and then you just kind of like manage their care from there. Yeah, exactly. And the biggest thing was in the past, these were all like defensive maneuvers right a hospital would do it just to cut down costs or cut down readmissions as of about a year and a half ago medicare started and other health plans started reimbursing providers to start using these tools so now an actual provider that develops a remote patient monitoring program if they have medicare patients that qualify with two or more chronic conditions which let's be honest most medicare patients do right america (laughs) <laughs> the provider now gets reimbursed a one-time fee for providing the patient the equipment, then a monthly per patient per month fee for the actual transmission of the data and the time spent reviewing the data. So in my opinion, and the clients that I speak with, tremendous opportunity for them to create revenue, not only with this remote patient monitoring, uh, but all these three modalities of telehealth. So that's why when you ask that question, Providers need to open up their mind and understand that there's not just one modality of telehealth. They need to figure out how to incorporate these three modalities to optimize their programs and value for the patient and revenue for them. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like this is something that, I mean, to be able to like monitor somebody without them actually having to physically come into the office or to the hospital sounds like something that's pretty fucking like killer. And if anybody, I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to like rack my brain right now for the arguments against something like this. Like, yeah, I don't think there's much to argue against it. And I think also, I think it helps a lot with patients who are just not in tune with their health. Like, you know, there's so many people that are like health illiterate out there, especially mm-hmm. when they have like chronic health conditions and you're really depending mm-hmm. on them to monitor themselves at home and do the right thing and to come in early when, you know, they don't feel well. A lot of people like they don't want to come in or they're like brush things off like, oh, it's fine. And, you know, the provider can see on the other end, like, okay, things aren't fine. I can be proactive and reach out to them and say, hey, look, I look, I see you've gained weight. I see, you know, X, Y, Z. And even even with COVID now, I feel like telehealth is becoming so much more involved and people are hearing more about it because people don't want, you know, people that have COVID symptoms or they're sick or whatever to come to the office and risk exposing their staff. And they don't want to just send everybody to the ER either, thank God. So, um, you know, in our ER alone, too, we're doing like a home monitoring program where we're supplying um, pulse oxes for patients that have COVID. And yeah, yeah, and they're uploading their data. I just showed somebody yesterday um, when they were discharged, um, you know, how to download the app on the phone, how to use the pulse ox, how to enter their data. And, you know, if their oxygen saturations are less than 93 percent, you know, what they need to do. And, you know, all that is trended in the app and everything like that. And um I think that's pretty cool um, for people and also some peace of mind that when they go home, like they're just not being like sent out on their own to figure it out. Because 
what's scary too with COVID is that people, you know, were sitting 70, 80% saturations. They had no idea. They were just short of breath. They just didn't realize like mm-hmm. how bad it was. So yeah, this like gives lows. people, yeah. yeah, some peace of mind, you know, like and that they're being monitored, but from home, which is cool. Yeah. Like uh, there's a doctor that was on the podcast that we had on the podcast that uh, went through that had COVID and went through the hospital, got hospitalized and everything. He said that he was just feeling short of, now this is a medical doctor. He works working in the emergency room. You know, he said he was feeling short of breath. Uh, and so he went to the hospital to get checked and his sats were like in the seventies, high seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. And, and he wow. was positive for COVID-19, you know, and it's, you know, just intuition isn't everything and having actual measurable data points to, diagnose and treat patients i think is pretty epic and so basically um you're here just to tell us that uh robots are taking over our jobs slowly um there's soon there's not going to be a need for nurses or doctors especially not doctors there's gonna be like five doctors in the united states that's it diagnosing everybody it's gonna be like the fucking supreme court (laughs) it's gonna be like a handful of them and then they're just making all the decisions and uh, then all the robots are going to do everything else, right? <laughs> no, I mean, what, you I, what I some say crazy is, shit. I yeah. know. No, what I, what I what I say is the the providers that are win are the ones that can balance in person care with these virtual tools. Okay, these are all just tools to for providers to extend their care. Now, the providers that fight it and say, "Hey, I'm not going to adopt. I'm not going to evolve. I'm not going to learn." They're the ones that are going to be left behind. There is industries, and I will say primary care, that mm-hmm. are definitely threatened, right? Because now that we make it on demand and access to anybody, if you don't have that option or you try to fight it, you know, it's really that innovator die model right now. Mm-hmm. But I think the true providers that will, you know, be successful going forward is the ones that can balance in-person care because there's some things that you just cannot replace yet which is you know touch and feel of a doctor and a provider but the ones that will win are the ones that can leverage and balance hey in-person care to when i can see you virtually to when hey i need to send you home with a device to monitor you Mm -hmm. those type of things so practices and organizations that can balance these going forward and create what i call virtual care service lines that have revenue attached to them and use cases that will win um and they just need to learn how to adapt to them and, and, and implement it and not fight them. Um, yeah, um, definitely. I've seen that for sure, like in primary care, um, evolving a lot, involving telehealth, especially for like little things, you know, it's hard to like, let's say you have a UTI even, something simple, like, you know, this is not going to be like a time consuming visit. This isn't something that they necessarily need to do like an assessment on you other than, you know, like collecting a urine sample, things like that. Um, but, you know, or let's say um, an allergic reaction. Like, for example, my husband had a dental procedure. He had antibiotic that he had never had before. He ended up with, like, a full body rash. Like, thankfully, I'm a nurse, and I was like, ah, this looks allergic, but also looks, like, pretty intense. Like, you might need even, like, some steroids or something, which the telehealth doctor agreed, but it was nice that at the middle of the night, you know, when I came home after work and realized, like, Jesus Christ, why didn't you tell me you had this? You know, I came home to find a full-blown body rash. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So got right on with telehealth doc. And he was like, yeah, I agree. Let's do steroids. Let's do whatever. And, you know, we were able to go to a 24-hour pharmacy, get it filled right there. Like they literally sent it directly to the pharmacy and everything was awesome. You know what I mean? Because that wasn't something that I wanted to like let go overnight. I wanted to take care of right away. So 
Um, in that case, you know, when the acts like your primary care is not open at 11 o'clock at night, like that's so right. handy, you know, and yeah, I think I mean, especially guys, like 2020. Right. And guys, the truth is we now officially live in an on-demand society, right? hundred percent. We, we push a button and a car shows up via Uber. Right. We, we order something over Amazon. It's there the next day, hmm. right? Yeah. We are now bred to this. Healthcare are, is now there. It, 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 we just weren't ready for it, right? Yeah, yeah it needs to catch up, dude. It really it, does. Healthcare 100% needed to catch up. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, the thing was that these systems existed. A lot of healthcare uh, providers had telemedicine on demand, direct to consumer, what we call telemedicine that Ashley used, um, already in place for many years. But we saw very low utilization because mm-hmm. no one really knew about it. A societal change didn't happen. That's what stakeholders yeah. like us always said. And me too, as an entrepreneur, I'm like, man, someday this is gonna have to be click, you know? It's gonna be a because, thing. Yeah. yeah, because for many years, I'm offering these technologies and providers and healthcare organizations looking at me like I'm crazy. They're like, right. how do I get paid? This makes no sense, there's no demand, etc. And that's why I think this, this pandemic was sure. kind of that quintessential tipping point for our space, mm-hmm. where when in-person healthcare was now non-existent, those telemedicine systems that were gathering dust for five years, all of a sudden we saw 200% uptick in them. And once the, these providers, once these patients and consumers got a taste of it, they're like, wow, this exists, they're coming back, you know? And I think now that genie's out of the bottle and uh, there's no way of putting it back. And now how do we build off of it? You well, know, it's how gonna do become providers standard. build off of that? It's gonna become yeah. standard of care. Like yeah. I think yep. that once people get a taste of something, um, you know, they're like, well, this is what was done for me last time. Like, why can't it be done this time? You know what I mean? So like providers that shied away from it before that now are implementing it because of COVID, et cetera, like they're not going to be able to get away from it now because patients are going to be expecting that, you know, level of care now and that convenience factor. And it's 2020. Everybody wants, you know, like you said, instant gratification. Like I want to be able to push a button and talk to a fucking doctor if I want to, you know what I mean? Like it's fucking, it's it's sick. It's ridiculous. I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous that like, this is where we're at because it's so crazy and so ridiculous that like that's a thing but honestly i mean it's so amazing like you can use it for so many different things like i it's amazing you people don't even think like all the things you can do with it like when before i left my previous hospital in tampa they actually had this like dock in a box thing set up like Mm -hmm. you literally walk in you connect with it, you know, decide whatever your problem is. Like, say I have an earache or whatever. They have a portable otoscope that you literally mm-hmm. put in your fucking ear. The doctor can look at it remotely, diagnose mm-hmm. you with otitis media, give you give you whatever. It's it's crazy. Like, and, and, I, and actually, I've sold a couple of those systems, and some of the doctors say that HD quality is better than even a regular otoscope. A hundred percent, yeah. Real live HD quality, quality. And listen, it's so amazing. So I'll give you a story, right? I helped the doctor, there's Miami Children's Hospital, it's now Nicholas Children's Hospital down in Miami, right? And they've had a very well-established telemedicine program for many years. They basically have a whole floor and it's all video screens. It's specialists and doctors sitting at these video screens. And what they do, what they have, they have remote sites set up with those dock-in-the-box equipment in remote villages in southern, in, in, in South America, in China, all around the world. And there's doctors that are doing second opinions and supporting, you know, frontline pediatricians, because these are specialist presentations of pediatricians, and supporting them in cases. And I'll tell you, when, you know, I helped the doctor get a job there, and he's like, Anil, like, you know, 
I got took this job and I didn't really know what I would be doing. Like, how could I really help, you know, via telemedicine? And he goes, Anil, he's when I diagnosed a kid's irregular heartbeat from 50, you know, from thousands and thousands of miles away. And I heard his heartbeat through headphones and through a digital stethoscope. And I realized that this patient, this child wouldn't have been able to get to a specialist for another month. I was like, wow, this is powerful. Yeah, that's fucking, yeah, that's man. insane. That's pretty, all right, so I have a question. So the, it sounds sick, but my cons- like immediately what keeps popping into my head, like every time we talk about this is like, you know, like when you're, um, like Ash will, will relate to this, like, you know, you're in the ER and you have like five patients already. And then they're like, hey, can you take this like sixth non-critical patient, you know, like not sick patient. And then you like, th- you get that moment where you're thinking to yourself, like I could probably handle another patient. You know what I mean? Like where does the accountability like, well, all right, so if I'm a doc and I'm responsible for, like, fucking 2,000 patients, you know what I mean? Like, how, where does the, like, accountability end with when it comes to telemedicine? I mean, like, if I have opinions or I'm monitoring vital signs and vital statistics on, you know, 1,000 patients from my office, and I'm, you know, and I'm billing out for each one of those patients, wouldn't that put that, that doc more at risk? You know what I mean? Like, is he not overworking him, him or herself? Is that... Well- is there legitimate? Well, Scott, our, our, what I always say is you got to practice to your, you know, your level, your standard of care, right? If you, uh, the doctor has to make a decision is, can I, can I do the same standard of care through telemedicine for this patient virtually, or do I really need to see them in, in person? So that's kind of where I think in medical school, they need to really work on and teach these students is what is that line? not only overworked because i understand that too you're not you know you shouldn't be just running through cases just because you could do them quickly through telemedicine right that's that's bad standard anyway but the the more important part is really understanding and communicating with the patient the limitations of telemedicine as well right Mm -hmm. so understanding where that line is drawn where you know what i think you need to come in for this i can't diagnose this online Right. Mm -hmm. Or I've taken it to a certain point where now you need to come in. This is the next steps. And also there's advanced things that are being taught, things that you can do via telemedicine, that website manner. Right. We talk a lot about that is, okay. look into the look straight into the camera, have empathy, you know, have and also for behavioral health, you can scan the background of the of the patient. Of the patient's room. Oh, maybe that can give you a sign of something that's wrong. Um, also, have an emergency plan. What if they just flip, if you're dealing with the psychiatry patients, if they just flip the laptop onto you, what's the emergency plan? So you know you got to understand the limitations, communicate those limitations, understand those limitations, mm-hmm. still be able to provide the standard of care that you can in person. And if you can't, you just shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I think, Um, too, Scott's, like, more itching at, like, feasibility. Like, how feasible is it for one physician, let's say, if you're in a primary care office and you are, you know, you have however many patients you have, how feasible is it for you to, let's say, for example, like, home monitoring, like, the vitals trends, et cetera, to keep track of all of that and be accountable for all those patients remotely that you're monitoring, or is this something that typically providers will bring on someone that is responsible for the monitoring of that and then reporting abnormalities to the physician themselves? Exactly, so the model for that usually is you have a support team that's working under the provider that is kind of taking care of those everyday vital sign readings. 
Because the last thing you want, because there is a such thing as data fatigue as well for the provider, right? So right. once you have these, you don't want to be pinging that provider for every alert or every uh, green reading, right? Mm-hmm. And so usually what happens is either the vendor or the physician staff is kind of becoming that monitoring um, triage uh, layer before those real alerts, like red alerts, go up to the provider. So yeah, so depending on the use case, yes, for remote monitoring, you usually want to have a staff that is providing the day-to-day monitoring, looking at those readings, um, we're communicating with the patient, any adverse things, and then if it does come to red alert, uh, those are then, you know, uh, kind of forwarded up to the provider to make an assessment or, or, or evaluation on. Remote monitoring is more, there's more moving parts to it, where yes, the provider definitely needs uh, a support team. From a, just a live audio video telemedicine perspective, hey, you schedule them just like you would schedule in-person visits. Mm-hmm. They could be as a, and you just, you, you kind of, when you develop your program, some of the things that help it from a consulting perspective, you decide, okay, what, what type of visits that we want to do? Do you want to use this for just uh, follow-ups? Do we want it to be on demand where a patient can come to your website and schedule a telemedicine consult? Um, so you really need to define and kind of block out time for these telemedicine visits, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it just depends. And then there's other, so you can have that for, to, to make it the kind of clarification, you can have a telemedicine system for your own practice, right? You can license a, a HIPAA compliant software and you can start seeing patients. Mm-hmm. There's also opportunities for nurse practitioners, for providers and other healthcare uh, providers to join direct-to-consumer telemedicine companies. So there are companies called Teladoc, American Well, um, MD Live, or a few of them. These are, some of them even went public this year as well. And basically these, you can join as a provider and then they'll basically feed you consultations. Uh Okay. And also they'll help you get licensed in multiple states as well. And in that case, you can just basically set your schedule and sit by your computer and they're going to send you consultations because they have the traffic. They drive the traffic. They're contracted with different health plans. They are part of different employer groups. And so there's different ways you, you know, healthcare providers can participate in telehealth. I say do them all. I say, hey, join these networks, develop them on your own or using within your practices and your healthcare organization and take advantage and, and build revenue. So, um, yeah. Tremendous opportunity, especially for providers that are licensed in multiple states. I feel like this thing is going to blow the fuck up, dude, because anytime you have like a good technology that's really underused and uh, physician's ability to make more money off of it, I feel like you always, you're going to see a, a pretty rapid explosion of the use of that technology. I think for sure that's where this shit's headed, dude. Yeah. Well, that I was the biggest... Just- that was the biggest issue just to touch on that point real quickly that was the biggest issue and where where i ended up i'm all of a sudden in the right making the money governor in the governor's meetings like doing legislative uh, lobbying i'm like how the hell did i get here i'm here with the medicaid president and the governor i'm like how did this happen because that was the biggest fight the technology existed but we couldn't get providers to get paid for it insurance companies because there's 50 different states and 50 different telehealth policies around reimbursement because uh, all health plans wanted to control that. So the biggest fight was, hey, we'll, health plans said, hey, we'll cover it, but we're going to cover it at 50% of the, 
of the rate that if you were to provide it in person. Oh, so they weren't going to give them the same so amount of money for, for it. So we for what's called insurance parity, payment mm-hmm. parity. That we need to get, we need to get them paid at the same amount if they were doing it in person. And we did get some states to put it in place years ago, like, but there was little loopholes in legislation where health plans would, you know, find a way to pay less. Like, for example, in New York, we got insurance parity, but because we didn't state that they had to pay it at 100%, health plans in New York paid it at 50%. And so that doesn't that, that doesn't accrue to, to, to providers wanting to use it. Mm-hmm. Also, the types of providers, you know, physician groups really fought for nurse practitioners to not have the rights to do telemedicine or other healthcare providers. So we had to fight for a lot of that. But what I will tell you is what's amazing is a lot of those barriers we were working on and have dropped. But if there's one thing, the shining light that have come from COVID-19 was in two weeks of executive orders, all those barriers when it comes to payment parity. There's also stupid things like you could only get reimbursed for telemedicine if it was in if it was in a rural area. Mm-hmm. And it was the dumbest thing. Like you had to go to a place to do telemedicine. You couldn't get reimbursed if the patient was in their home. So they actually still had to go to a physical location, which was the dumbest thing. But these were just it like outdated. Yeah, there were just these outdated policies that we just, you know, and then there's lobbying and politics and things like that right. that as, us as stakeholders, we know we knew were hindrances for telehealth adoption, but you know just lobbying and just how sh- you know how legislative works is just very slow. But with the pandemic, all those barriers were dropped, almost all of them. Things like you know rural areas, types of providers, reimbursement parity. There's some oh, yeah. things that they opened up that I don't like. Um, that I don't think providers should think that. that providers should get used to being there like getting reimbursed for just phone calls that's not going to fly for a long time yeah it's got to be live audio video uh non-hipaa compliant tools that was part of uh, uh the executive emergency order those are not going to fly but a lot of these other changes they're looking at becoming permanent so the door is now wide open for providers to earn revenue provide create businesses and really truly take advantage of these tools and get paid for using them so you're saying i should probably invest in this shit yeah invest with me let's do it how much you talking dude so so as a nurse this is what i see and i did a um i told you scott i did a um i developed a training course for nurse practitioners graduate nurse practitioners um for the university of buffalo they received Mm -hmm. some grants and they were developing a telemedicine system and a training lab uh, for uh, a grant that they got where they were doing telemedicine consultations with Indian reservations up in, you know, Buffalo and the northern uh, New York area. And part of that was, part of that grant was they needed to create an educational course for nurse practitioners uh, to learn about telehealth. So a lot of it was just introductory stuff, like what is telehealth, how is it used, and the, and the different modalities. But a part of it was, what's the opportunity that exists for nurse practitioners in telehealth, Okay. And I think it's a tremendous opportunity. And I'll tell you some of the, some of the options that exist. So one is you can, a nurse practitioner group or one nurse practitioner can create one of those direct-to-consumer type telemedicine services, right? For primary care, those things that Ashley talked about just to get checked up, um, like flu symptoms, things that could be diagnosed online and treated online, right? Basic shit. Right away. Yeah, you can collect insurance for them, or we've seen that private pay is, is easily done that way. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
You can provide these services to anyone. You can also provide them to employer groups. Self-insured employer groups can show a tremendous ROI by providing telemedicine to their employees. That means but return on investment, everybody, if you don't know what that yeah, means. Yes, return on investment, right? <laughs> and so an NP can, can, um, can start a, a, a company like that. Uh, and even better if they're licensed in multiple states. So does the nurse practitioner need a provider to like kind of like preside no. over him or her? No. For this program, you don't you don't need a provider to uh, to. Not from my understanding, but I'm not a legal lawyer. I always check with the healthcare lawyer. Word. I think it would because be also it's all about uh, yeah exactly that's where I was going next. It's all about the state too. Um, also, Florida's fucked. No, yeah, not necessarily so because Florida actually has autonomous practice now for um, APRNs, but yep. it's it's you have to have to apply for autonomous licensure. You have to have like a specific amount. I think it's like three thousand plus hours on direct supervision under a, you know, um, a physician before you can apply for autonomous practice. There's you know ins and outs to applying for autonomous practice, but I think once you have that, then no, you wouldn't you wouldn't need uh, physician oversight. Yes, and there's opportunities with nurse compact states for. Remember, this is telemedicine, so there's certain compact states where if you're a nurse and you're providing tele, and you have a license in that state with that nurse's license, you can get expedited licensure in those other states just to do telemedicine uh, if they're part of that compact. So we see a lot of movement on that nurse's compact. So that's an opportunity, and there's systems out there where you can quickly develop that. Um, number two, going back to the remote patient monitoring, Ashley, like you mentioned, and Scott, your question, providers need that support and that triage mechanism um, to do these tele, uh, remote patient monitoring programs. So nurses are a key part of that, the nurses call center, so to say. So you can actually create a business where you're providing those services to a physician group where you're doing the triage, you're managing the patients on a day-to-day basis, and you can take a part of that revenue as working under that physician. And your your whole business is providing that support and managing those patients for the provider um, in those remote patient monitoring programs. I know a nurse that has is absolutely killing it in that model. Um, so yeah, there's tremendous opportunity for, for MPs and other healthcare providers to create businesses um, using telehealth and virtual care tools. Mm-hmm. I've seen like Just, um, triage opportunities too, like um, for when patients call into a service and they're explaining like their symptoms or whatever they're having, and then that triage um, provider will determine like, no, you really need to go to the hospital, or um, no, we can handle this outpatient, and we'll forward the information to the doctor, etc. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I always say is 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 for healthcare groups, this is an innovative way to deliver healthcare. It's a creative way to deliver healthcare. So you also, can, you also can find creative ways to get paid for it. So I'll give you some examples. Let's say it's a specialty group uh, um, and they, they want to provide their telemedicine services. They can go to a rural hospital or they can go to a, 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 another healthcare organization that needs their services, may not be able to afford them to be in person, and contract with that, with that hospital, that group, to provide their services virtually. We see, and that's not a reimbursement. That's a contract that you do per consult or whatever it may be. You know, um, a lot of need abroad. You know, for second opinions for U.S.-based providers. Uh, so a lot of opportunities internationally as well. Um, second opinions, education. There's programs called Project Echo, 
where a group of specialists can contract with or, or be able to provide training to up-and-coming providers um, and do that virtually and there's opportunities and reimbursement there for those type of programs as well you can do contracts for that so lots of creative ways to create revenue and build businesses uh, using these two we just got to be forward thinking and think out of the box and want to make a bunch of money yeah. and make one and, and listen one, one of my things is also healthcare providers got to have a little bit of business sense um you know and i wish i wish more providers got some of that training in school um because i think it's very important nowadays but like going back to what you said scott we have a tremendous opportunity with the folks coming out of you know medical school now and entering the workforce because they're digitally native now right mm-hmm. Right. And so they're going to be pushing the next wave of, of adoption. I was where the stuff I was dealing with was there's still hospital CEOs. There were still groups that were from that old generation. Old ass motherfuckers. Tech. Yeah, they didn't get the tech. They didn't I'm understand. I'm not doing it. this video shit. I'm not mm-hmm. doing it. And they were fight. They fight against it, right? But I think the next wave of groups of, 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 of providers that are not going to be now moving into those executive positions in these bigger organizations, they get it. And so they're going to yeah, be that they're next they're pushing wave it to push. those mm-hmm. consumers that want it. Oh, yeah, now especially, dude. It's Everybody crazy wants with, it now. The, with the With the freaking COVID, it's, it's like, it's wild, man. I mean, <clears throat> people like look forward to, to their telehealth appointments. Like my mom, mm-hmm. she couldn't get to see a doctor. She needed like a refill on like her um, uh, hormone replacement, you know? And she couldn't see her, her doc. And she didn't even realize that her insurance company covered her telehealth. Yep. So she just made a phone call and the script was called in and she didn't even have to freaking go see the doctor at all, you know? Yeah. People and look like forward to that shit too. now. Yeah, yeah, like follow-ups even, like labs. Like when I did my clinicals in primary care, I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous that people have to sit in the lobby for like over an hour waiting for their fucking mm. lab results. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's ridiculous. I know, it's so And stupid. I'll tell you, patient satisfaction with telehealth programs is through the roof and always has been. Patients love it, right? And, and so when you talk about we're going to like a value-based care model where everything is based on quality and saving money, et cetera, a lot of organizations now and going to continue, oh, that's how their bottom line is calculated, that their patients are happy, they're providing quality care, and they're saving money doing it. And these tools are absolutely, you know, used to be optional, but absolutely no, are mandatory now to be successful and not even be valuable as care, but any type of care going forward. Um, because yeah, patients love them and they're much, they're, they're cost effective compared to in-person care. And just, there's so many things to calculate, the time spent going into the office, the time wasted. Um, there's just so many benefits and they far, far outweigh the cons of it. Now that we've gotten through the regulatory hurdles, now is the true opportunity for all of them to really be optimized and used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure, dude. And you can use it for so many fucking things. It's crazy. Like just yeah. even when I was in school, we actually had like a telemedicine day where we got to like play with a bunch of these like telemedicine devices and see kind of how it works, um, which was cool. Um, and even I did this um sexual assault training course for like nurse practitioners where um in rural areas let's say where they don't have access to um like sexual assault centers etc um there's nothing worse than you know being sexually assaulted and now you have no resources whatsoever you know you could go to let's say your critical access facility they might not have the resources to do like a sexual assault exam etc or staff that are trained to even do that or deal with that they can actually video in um these APRNs or 
PAs mm-hmm. or whoever that does the exam and they do it virtually like the the detail on these cameras are crazy and you know mm-hmm. they can walk providers through the exam how to do it how to collect evidence I mean just just even that alone I was like what like I never really would have thought like of using it for something like that but that just mm-hmm. creates a whole new access to care for people who never would have had it otherwise you know yeah it actually you bring up a great point right telemedicine programs and telehealth programs they're gap fillers when you start a program, you look at, okay, where are my clinical gaps? Where are my, where am I lacking from a clinical standpoint that I can potentially fill via telemedicine, right? And so if you look at that group, they say, hey, we have this, but we, we don't have this sexual, you know, uh, this assessment or these, these providers on staff. So what they, what did they do? They brought them on virtually, right? And so a lot of these programs, they start from sheer need and being able to fill a clinical gap that does that's just not there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the, the benefits are tremendous, um, you know, and that's why I fell in love with the space because I said, one, yeah, I'll be able to make a lot of money. And that's kind of one of the things, right? Um, it's a Yo, can anybody hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can't hear. Oh, uh, he just I cut out. I can't hear Nelly cut out editor with uh telemedicine yeah, Mag. repeat that last thing because you completely you cut me. out yeah, yeah i went out sorry yeah. you hear me now yeah mm-hmm. yeah so one of the reasons i really fell in fell in love with the industry and kind of found this as my purpose was you know one i knew i was going to make money you know whether slowly but eventually it's a multi-billion dollar market uh but number two it was about leaving a legacy for me right i found when i got into this early i'm like man this is about a movement we're changing healthcare. Right. And we're writing, we're, we're doing things that are, are game changing and historical. You know, some of the things that I've done in regards to helping write the Florida telehealth policies. I've been a contributing editor with the first ever magazine in telemedicine, telemedicine magazine, um, and help write laws around the country. And then, you know, so I said, hey, man, I'll be able to leave a legacy as well. But lastly, to me, was, which was also huge, was uh, being able to help a lot of people. We implement these programs, whether they're for behavior health or chronic care management or whatever they may be, um, they're going to help a lot of people, increasing access to health care. So um, to me, it was just win, 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 win um, uh-huh. in this space. And I'm just, you know, uh, so passionate about it to see it come into fruition in the last couple months. It's just it's amazing to see because there's many years of like, man, is this ever going to work? Because <laughs> we felt because it was just a small group of people, a community that like, man, we get it. Why doesn't anybody else? Yeah, we see that we see the vision, but it just wasn't there, whether it was regulatory hurdles, which is the main case of it, but just some people just not getting it. Um, And just to see that we're it's coming together, it's showing value, it's mainstream now. uh, It's just super exciting because we are going to help a lot of people. You know, I was telling Scott a story about I did a um, telehealth feasibility study here in Palm Beach County where I live. And I was contracted by not-for-profit to do an assessment with all the federally qualified healthcare centers in the county to find out, okay, where are the gaps, like I mentioned before, and how can telehealth help these gaps? And we studied one site. It was a public health department site. And we did a study, and we found that psychiatry patients were waiting over 90 days to get a follow-up psychiatry appointment to fill their meds. Now you, and these, these probably were just to have anxiety. These were like, you know, bipolar, schizophrenic 
you know, people need their fucking meds, need their freaking meds. But they, you know, but we didn't have a psychiatrist on staff that could be available to do these visits. And other providers just had the stigma. They're like, we don't want to deal with these patients, right? Yeah. And we did when I, we did our report, the socioeconomic impact of not servicing those patients was tremendous, right? And what we did, what we did, and what we proposed was implementing the telemedicine system to have a provider there for those gaps. Uh, and the effect and impact it would have is tremendous. Um, and so those things like that, those, those not only, uh, you know, uh, are a tremendous opportunity as an entrepreneur, but also it makes you feel good, right? We're going to help people when we implement these types of programs. Uh, and in the end, that's the key. Mm-hmm. And that's not the only case. I mean, there's tons of cases like that around the country. And I think behavioral health and mental health, especially now with this pandemic, if you think yeah. we had shortages before, um, and we have, you know, cases before, forget about it going forward. Um, a tremendous spike in, you know, in behavioral health and mental health need and, sh- and shortages on providers going forward is what I predict. Yeah. And I yeah, think I it's mean... so nice to be able to have that like on demand. Like if you're, you know, as, and people, I feel like with mental health issues too, like you can't always predict how you're going to be day to day. I mean, if you, you know, you're having a bad day on particular and you can't get an appointment, like there's nothing worse than feeling horrible and then not being able to like talk to anybody about it, like when you need it, you know what I mean? So, I mean, even Mm -hmm. now you see it on commercials. Like, I feel like it's nice too, that they're trying to remove some of the stigma around like mental health illness, et cetera. Like they're advertising it on TV. Like, I think it was like Talkspace or something like that. I think, um, what was it? Michael Phelps. He was on a commercial about, um, you know, like mental health and having like an on-demand provider, basically a telehealth visit with a psychiatrist or psychologist to be able to talk like on-demand whenever you need, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Another great opportunity, and you're going to see more of these, right, are niche telemedicine services. So Talkspace is one. It's around counseling and behavior health, right? There is the one that I mentioned before, Roman, which is around male sexual health. Mm-hmm. There's um, another company, him or hers. You don't know it, but it's a telemedicine company. It's around, you know, uh, women's health. There's another company that I work with. It's a company called Baby Live Advice, which is for expectant mothers. It's a telemedicine service for that. So we are also going to see, and I think there's another tremendous opportunity, is these niche, specific, focused telemedicine services mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, people that are searching for specific kind of, you know, uh, treatment and provide and provider and a provider network supporting that type of um, those type of needs. So I see a lot of those popping up and I think you continue to see that. Yeah, I think this shit's going to be everywhere, bro. I mean, it's just the right. natural, it's going to go viral. I think it yeah, should and, be. That's cool. And you see the big I agree. I think, the- I think it's helping patients, dude. I mean, like at the end of the day, like, um, it's, there's a lot of, I, I used to sell medical devices, dude. There's a lot of shit that we sold that like really wasn't super helpful for the patients. It was a good way to generate revenue for docs and for medical reps. But you know, this seems like it's something that's pretty clearly there. I don't think anybody could like reasonably object to any form of this. You know what I mean? Like and- I've heard people say that like the psychiatric, you know, telehealth thing is kind of impersonal and and you know people going through psychiatric crisis already kind of feel disconnected from the world but and honestly having the ability to have a provider there and speak with them in those moments versus you know none at all or maybe like a liaison someone that's not exactly as qualified as uh, like a clinical psychiatrist is uh 
I think that's pretty huge. So I don't see there. I don't see how anybody could re, like reasonably object to any of this yeah. shit, dude. And it's kind of shocking that it took like, so long. Um, like uh, what's it called? Um, like out of network. Like say God forbid I'm like out of state or something and I'm having an issue. Like I can call. I can use my telehealth that's provided by my insurance and not pay like some sort of exorbitant out of pocket, out of network yeah. bullshit price for something because I have a fucking like ear infection or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's about convenience. And we're going back to that on demand world. We expect it now. Right. Yeah. And what's, what's also cool to see is the big players coming into the space. Right. So very soon. So you have Walmart that has partnered up with the telemedicine company and they've also started opening up retail clinics. Amazon in Seattle has in their home base has a telemedicine service for their employees that they're looking to um, expand nationwide. CVS and Aetna has partnered up to do more telemedicine services and provide these on-demand services going. Walgreens already has a system. So you're going to see a lot of these big players get into the space, already have been. Uh, and so very soon, and I did an episode of this on my podcast about retail, you know, the future of healthcare is going to look a lot like retail. You know, you may be able to go into a Walmart in the next five years that the Walmart is actually your insurance provider. You get to see a patient. You get to see a doctor there if you need to be. Get your pharmacy. You get your prescriptions there. And it's all covered by Walmart and your your Walmart membership card or whatever. Um, that stuff is happening right now. And so, you know, there. not only do we see providers see an opportunity, those large conglomerates uh, see the opportunity as well. Nice. Yeah. And the insurance companies actually, you know, going back to your point, actually, the insurance companies actually were the first movers on this. So they, what you're being provided right now through your insurance company is basically them just licensing and putting in network one of those direct-to-consumer telemedicine companies, mm -hmm. right? So I don't know which one you have, but there's probably one or two that they offer you and it's it's either direct, you know, it's either like American Well or something like that. Uh, but they basically b b brought those telemedicine networks under their health plan and made them in network to all their members. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, it saves the health plan money, right? Yeah. Because if you're not going in person, it's less money, right? It, it's, right. you know, it's less cost. So, so before providers adopted it, honestly, the health plans went and adopted it first uh, and started bringing these telemedicine companies in network and providing them as a benefit to their members. Um, and most health plans have that now, yep. So overall, telehealth, tele telemedicine, the wave of the future, get on board or get out. Yeah, for real. Innovator die. Innovator die. I yeah. love it. <laughs> grow, grow or fucking get the fuck out of the way, bro. People need it's, this shit. It's, it's never been more coming. evident. Whether you yeah, like it or I mean, not, we're here. Yeah. Yeah, it's here. And it's never been more evident than it is now. Um, I think, honestly, if you're getting in the game, you're starting a practice or have a practice now, if you don't have these tools in place, you're definitely behind the eight ball. Um, and, you know, really need to figure out ways to, to incorporate them. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent, like dude. I dig it. I dig it. And whatever you're drinking over there, slurping. <laughs> sorry, I dig that sorry. Empty. Wait, hold on. Let me get on that. Oh, there you go. There it goes. Oh, that was yeah. a sign off. Just in time. That was a sign off. I love how every time, <laughs> every time he like makes a super strong point about telehealth, it's like. <laughs> but no, guys. Thanks this. for fucking. Uh, thanks for sharing all that info with us, dude. I think that's a pretty fucking cool thing. I know it's not like always the most exciting thing to talk about, but it's like it's fucking like it's exciting it's the, to me. Yeah, it's Shit's the wave. It's the wave of the fucking future, dude. I dig yeah. it, man. I yeah, I think it definitely opens a lot of minds. It really can blow your mind, man. It, uh... Yeah.
Uh, fucking idiot. Uh, but yeah, dude, that was badass, Sweet. man. Thanks for the fucking info, bro. Um, yeah, thanks for opening fun. my mind to all the ways I can make money in the future. Make some goddamn money. That's what it's about, bitch. Yeah, no, we should do it together. I mean, that's something that we should sit down and talk about offline. Um, I'm down because I'm a new man. APRN. Uh-huh. Can't find a fucking job anywhere for my life. And um, yeah. telemedicine is... Uh, it's the wave. It's the way. Yeah, a couple of things I'm thinking about doing over going to go into the top of the year, starting kind of a virtual care group and, and, and try to create these type of businesses, man, and, and help providers get started. I mean, I've done consulting just independently with different organizations, but I like to kind of create a medical group uh, where we're creating these service lines and making revenue off of them and marketing the hell out of them. Um, I have some other doctors that may be investing early in it. So, um, yeah, man, I think it's a, I think, hey, let's do it. <laughs> get in. Let's get in that get shit. Get it in. Get it in. What's your, um, what's, your in inst- what's your Instagram handle real quick so people can check you out? Yeah, it's, um, so you can follow me on Instagram. It's Anil, A-N-E-E-L, I-R-F-A-N, virtual health. Anil and Farm Virtual Health. That's my Instagram. Yeah, check them out. Give them a follow fucking follow. Right yeah, to check out my podcast, the 10X Healthcare Podcast. We're on, uh. Apple, Spotify, all the everywhere you can download a podcast. We're there. All the things. All the things, dude. Check them out. Do all the things. We should do an episode two soon, bro. Yeah, man. I'll fuck. I'm I'll more, more than happy, dude. Just let me know. Right, we'll do it up. Um, right. But yeah, guys, thanks for fucking tuning in. Thanks for listening to this fucking super informative ass podcast. Um, if you want to uh, listen a, a little bit more or give us a follow on fucking Instagram at the Broners Podcast. Um, like us rate us on uh itunes guys and uh tell us what you think leave some comments and some fucking you want to say that scott fucking sucks and should shut the fuck up and let everyone else talk more then i mean that's what you say yeah that's what what you want to say i'm not gonna listen but just keep saying it (laughs) you will not take your suggestions however feel free to leave suggestions (laughs) but uh yeah and um fucking go buy some dr squatch soaps guys use code um Broners? Yo, I love Dr. Squatch soap. Did you use it for real? Yeah. Was yeah. it because of us? Was it because but, of us? But, no, it was because of their damn YouTube ads. Oh, they got good they ass. Got, not not only they got me, but they got my brother too. I was, I, I was telling my brother, like, yo, I ordered these awesome, dope ass soap, believe it or not. He's like, wait, Dr. Squatch? He's like, they got me too. I'm like, shit. No way, dude. <laughs> so yeah, I ended up ordering a bunch of them. I need to reorder. Doctor Everyone's Spots. doing it. Dude, fucking use, use, uh, use codes. Uh, I think it's Broners. Use code no, Broners. I feel like we changed it to like BN Podcast, no? Oh yeah, it's, oh fuck, I always forget. Yeah, so many codes. I'm literally down. every episode, this is me. I'm like, I don't know the fucking code, <laughs> but get a discount somehow. Ask us. <laughs> uh, if, try Broners. Try code Broners. If that doesn't work, um, try BN Podcast. I don't fucking know. And if that doesn't work, then just fucking DM Scott and be like, get your shit together. Yeah, just DM me, dude, bitch. and I'll get you a code, and you can get fucking right, like cool. 20 or 30% off some shit like that. You know. Thanks for educating us, Anil. Dude, Thank thanks you. for educating Yeah, man, that was fucking mad informative. That was informative as fuck. That was information coming That's out of my I fucking do. nutsack, dude. <laughs> All right, dude, well, um, thanks for joining us, guys. Fucking, uh, cool, we'll do it again. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Appreciate it. Always Woo! welcome, man. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Adios. Bye. Adios. Bye.